Community Conversations with Community Centres SA. Here's Kerry Ackermans. Welcome to Community Centres SA's podcast, Community Conversations. I'm your host, Kerry Ackermans, CEO of Community Centres SA. We're a peak body for community centres and neighbourhood houses in South Australia. These podcasts bring you stories from across the state of all the great work being done in our communities and general topics of community interest. Community centres are open for anyone and provide place-based activities to enrich the lives of people in our community. Mental health affects everyone, either yourself or someone you know. Did you know that staying fit can help your mental health? In this episode, we talk to John Mannion, who is the inaugural Chief Executive Officer of Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, Australia's only foundation dedicated solely to mental health research. Welcome, John. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Pleasure. John, it's such an important topic and mental health is now the most raised issue when it comes to health discussions. Why has it become so prevalent? Um, I think the challenge is it necessarily hasn't become so prevalent. It's always been there for us. And the challenge we've often faced is the sort of stigma and discrimination associated with starting to open up and talk about our mental health. Uh, and the challenge is often associated with that. Um, so what we do know is that um, one in five of us will experience a diagnosed mental health issue um, in this year, um, which is then relates to about 45% of us throughout our lifetime will experience a mental health challenge. And what we also do know is that one in two of us might not necessarily reach out for that mental health support. So the prevalence is probably a lot higher than our, our data probably sort of shows us. And what we also know then from, from, from research is that 50% of all those first presentations happen between the ages of 11 and 14, um, and 75% of those first presentations before the age of 24. So the need for early intervention and preventative work is very, very paramount. Um, and then our latest uh, ABS data set, unfortunately, has, has told us that we are still losing nine Australians to suicide every day. Um, and so the challenge we're facing here is that these aren't just statistics. These are actually people. This is our, our mums, dads, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, friends. I think it's really important that we remember that it's actually people that are sitting behind each of these numbers. Of course. And is it also, John, that we can now name it and identify it? As you say, it has been there. It's just not something that people recognise. So even not even owning up to it, which might not feel comfortable, it's also about the fact they couldn't actually name it for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the mental health conversation probably is its strongest it's ever been. I, I've worked in the mental health arena for 35 years. And when I first started, uh, we wouldn't be on the radio having conversations conversations about mental health. We certainly wouldn't be having them in our sports clubs or in our schools. I don't remember ever talking about mental health in my education. Now when we sort of fast forward 35 years, we're having much more conversations in every part of the arenas of our lives. We're having people who are, are really sharing their own lived experience story and, and wanting to do so so they can actually support others to grow, to develop, and for our systems to develop. Um, days like Are You OK Day, a very, very powerful day in the mental health world where it's actually really promoting the opportunity to actually have the mental health conversation. The challenge, though, is how do we turn Are You OK Day into Are You OK Day 365 days of the year? How do we ensure that the conversation is actually being listened to and that people feel empowered? And often when we have the conversation around that connectivity, that's the important part about being validated that what's actually happening to me is real. And then when we do need to reach out for help, where do we actually go? 
how can we make it in a speedy manner? How can we get those early interventions and preventions in place so it reduces the impact in those sort of high-level acute stages? And John, it is the challenge for most people that in the past it was something hidden away and if you stated you had anything wrong with yourself mentally, you might even be considered in its day crazy and you should be locked away rather than now if somebody breaks their arm, we fix it. We don't just see it as everyday first aid. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I was only having this conversation with a colleague yesterday where um, that we were talking about that they were having a, a, an appointment for psychology and I was saying, that's brilliant, no problems, no issues at all. And they sort of looked at me and I said, if you'd have asked for this to be your dentist appointment, it wouldn't be an issue, would it? If you'd asked for it to be, you know, to go from a GP, it wouldn't be an issue. You're getting nervous about asking to go to a psychology appointment and I'm treating it the same way as it would be for any other part of our health and it needs to be that same way. Um, the stigma that's been associated with talking about mental health unfortunately still sits there. Um, are we viewed as a second-class citizen? Are we viewed and not provided the support that we should do and get the meaningful engagement that we would do for any other part of our, our um, sort of illnesses? And especially when we look at the prevalence and the numbers and, and the amount of people who are really struggling, the more conversations we're actually having each time we're slowly breaking down the barriers to make it accessible and a normal conversation. We should be talking about our mental health the same way as we probably spoke about what a beautiful day is today. Summer's here, the jacarandas are, are, are blossoming. We should be having the mental health conversation with people and saying, how are you today? How are you going with that? Did you have that appointment? Did you have that follow-up? Thanks for sharing that story with me. That would be a beautiful place in which you know we're actually driving a very significant change in our community. And John, is the aim to also move it towards where plenty of people go and do first aid, but we think of first aid always from that physical perspective, but first aid would then extend to mental. Do you think that will happen? So we'll just go and do a course and that will be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Mental Health First Aid Australia is, is, is a not-for-profit organisation that actually delivers the Mental Health First Aid um, program. Um, Breakthrough, who I'm the CEO for, um, we um, deliver mental health first aid training. We deliver mental health awareness sessions. We have some community programs targeted for men and targeted for women. So there's a beautiful range of programs that are actually starting to grow our mental health literacy and our knowledge and our understanding. Now, the challenge with that, though, is that this won't make you a clinician. It will open your, your awareness. It will give you the skills. It will give you the ability to sit and to listen and to connect with somebody. The area of what we want to then grow is then, well, once we, if people do reach out and we're a first aider providing that support, like we would do if it was a first aider if someone collapsed. Somebody collapses, I put them in the recovery position. I reassure them I phone an ambulance. Wouldn't it be incredible if we had the same skills if I was having a panic attack? You knew what to do. You knew what support to put into place until the professional arrived. And that's exactly what Mental Health First Aid supports to deliver. There are a range of other programs that you can actually do. So there's suicide prevention work, suicide conversations, uh, accidental counsellors, assist training. There's lots of beautiful programs all around building our skills. So I think for each person that's wanting to do that and to learn those skills, by all means, reach out and, and, and sort of enhance what we do. And of course, in our community centres, John, we have people presenting from all walks of life with all various concerns and challenges and barriers. And a lot of it can stem from when mental health arises, it can come from past situations, can't it? I was talking to someone the other day about complex grief and how grief can spin into mental health issues. Yeah, I mean, the trigger and the trauma we experience may be from our childhood, it may be an incident happened, it may be a reaction to something, it might be grief, it's about our genetics, it's about our psychological um, development and upbringing. So there's a range of, of many different complexities that impact us all as people in the same way as they do every other part of our lives. And so, yes, if you're getting people who are coming to your community centre, they're coming there because it's a safe space. 
They're coming there because it's a place of connectivity. It gives you a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. Um, one in three Australians are experiencing high levels of isolation um, at the moment. And so community centres provide this beautiful arena where it's actually letting people come where they feel safe, they feel secure, they feel connected. They get the opportunity to meet others. That might be the only conversation that person's had all day. And coming into one of your centres, being greeted by one of your volunteers who smiles and just asked somebody, would you want a cup of tea? How are you doing? That might be the most powerful conversation that takes place that day. Exactly. And John, you've mentioned previously that that 11 to 14-year-old is that age where you can come in with some prevention or that first identification. How do we reach children then? Are schools bringing this type of work into their everyday practice for teachers to be trained yeah. to recognise? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different school programs. Uh, one of the programs that Breakthrough is funded is a program called Big Talks for Little People. Um, it's a primary school mental health program where we're actually teaching children uh, to understand the difference between their thoughts, their feelings and their emotions and how that actually impacts them. And then how you actually then identify when somebody is struggling, like one of your friends. Because for a child, their first responder is their best friend. It's not the mum, the dad, the coach, the teacher. It's the best friend. So if we can start to educate younger children to know the, the science and the symptoms to look out for in themselves and their friends, but also how to have that first safe connection. That's that first step to looking at early intervention prevention. And what we've um, found from that program that's been rolled out in the schools it was rolled out into, it actually showed a 25% reduction in bullying taking place in the schools. And bullying is a trigger for anxiety, depression, uh, body image issues. So looking at earlier conversations is very powerful. There's a range of other different programs that have been rolled out in schools, and a lot of schools have their own well-being um, um, services and systems as well. And the state government has just invested um, into 100 mental health clinicians for in schools as well, looking at secondary schools. So that first area where our sort of year 7, 8, 9, 10, um, when they're starting to identify who they are and those first early onset issues are arriving around stress, around mental health, around body image, they're actually getting early intervention strategies where the school have got support and clinicians to start those interventions at that early point in time and reduce the risk of snowballing and becoming that higher risk um, presentation for somebody. Talking to John Manningham from the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, if you take that further and look at the situation with youth, it could present in a sporting situation, in an after-school activity. So there's a lot of people who need to know what to do, isn't there? It's just like they would put a Band-Aid on a cut. What can they do when a child first expresses or ends Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And one of the programs that Breakthrough has done is, is we do a, a community round, which is a, a mental health awareness round across all sporting codes here in, in, in South Australia. Um, this year we had uh, over 80 different sporting clubs take part, and these are from AFL, hockey, netball, um, roller derby, uh, table tennis, bowls. And, you know, our, our sporting clubs are, are, are the centre point in a lot of our communities, especially in our rural communities, the one point where people come together over the weekend where they can connect, etc. Um, each of the clubs that took part in, in, in that round then all um, had a mental health awareness session that uh, took place in their clubs. They're given a, a set of uh, posters all around the five signs to look out for your friends and the four things you can actually do about that. Um, and then uh, each club who, who fundraises then gets two free places on the Mental Health First Day training programme. And our aim for that is that then, then we want to have every sporting club across uh, South Australia to have people who are trained in mental health um, um, first aid, mental health awareness, to have that first conversation. Now, it's not about them fixing it. It's about them being the first person to make someone feel safe, 
to open up and have the conversation and then guide and help find persons for relevant support if it's needed. Um, so, yeah, the sporting community and our, our local communities have a beautiful role just by their default of how they're designed. So, John, if we get back to this is all about prevention, it's important to reach the parents, isn't it, because often anxiety exhibits in children because of parental pressure, especially through extracurricular activities. Yeah, and it's interesting um, um, a couple of years ago, we went to visit a number of secondary schools and we, we asked some questions to, to Year 11 um, students and we asked them, what is it like to be you? And this was post-COVID. And what they said to us was that the, number th- the three things that are major issues and concerns for them. So the first one was about stress. second one was about their mental health. The third one was about body image. The fourth one then was about expectations. And that was expectations they put on themselves expectations their friends put on them, expectations their sports clubs, their parents, that wider community put on them. And then this becomes that, that, that sort of pressure point. What they all did raise to us, though, they did say that, you know, please don't think COVID has been the trigger for all this. These are concerns even before COVID. And um, so what they've wanted to then start to look at, well, well, how do we learn a new range of skills? So how do we build our resilience? How do we build our strategies? How do we build our communication? So a number of different schools have been doing programs where they've actually invited the parents actually into their mental health awareness sessions so where they can understand some of the triggers, some of the blocks, some of the barriers, but also the way in which children um, often share amongst their own peer group, which might be a different conversation they have with their parents. So there's a beautiful opportunity then to, from a parent's perspective to learn a whole range of different new skills on how we can support our children. My daughter's a 25-year-old. She's absolutely beautiful, and she teaches me about communication all the time and the ability just to listen and not to fix. Sometimes uh, our children just want to sound out what's actually happening to them, to try and express it and then to unpick it themselves. They just need to bounce that off you. And my daughter uses a beautiful line. She often say, Dad, I just need to vent. I don't want you to fix and I think that's a beautiful way in which I, I, I can then just listen to her. I can paraphrase back what she's actually said to me. Um, and then she often comes with those solutions. And then as a parent, checking back in, how did you go with that? Did it work for you? Was there anything else? Was there any other issues you want to chat about? So you're always keeping that sort of avenue of communication open. Um, our children are incredibly smart and, and, and they're learning a whole range of different ways to cope in a world that we weren't brought up in. Um, so our ability to listen and to grow with them, that's a magical skill. Absolutely, John. And if we listen, children are our greatest teachers. So, John, your organisation funds a number of mental health research projects. Are there some particular ones besides those you've just mentioned you'd like to let us know about? Yeah, we, we're, we're a not-for-profit organisation. Um, we raise all our funds through a wide range of, of, of different um, fundraising avenues. And if you go on to the Breakthrough Foundation uh, website, you can see a wide range of ways in which you can connect with us, you know, from, from bike rides to charity nights to coming to gala events, etc. There's a wide range of, of ways in which you can actually connect. Um, what that's meant for us this year is, is that um, we've been able to invest $1.9 million back into 29 different research projects. These projects um, work across um, our four themed areas, which are young people, uh, eating disorders, um, indigenous mental health and depression. And we work very closely then with our university partners here in South Australia, but also interstate. So we've supported research at Flinders University, at UniSA, at SAMRI, uh, and also at the Mind and Brain Centre in Sydney. Some of the programs then are looking at, from the granular, looking at genetics and genetic predisposition to developing eating disorders. So really looking at uh, genetic markers 
through to hands-on clinical interventions. So we have a youth suicide programme um, that's been facilitated out in the south of the city and um, that works on a programme called Dialectical Behavioural Therapy. The managing of our emotions and regulating them and looking at a whole new range of, of communication and coping strategies. This programme's been running for three years and has, has had a 75% success rate, which in our mental health world is, is, is actually incredible. Our dropout rate's normally around 75%. And what it does is, is that it's a young person and one of their carers, their mums, dads, um, brothers, sisters, take part in the programme for 26 weeks, three hours each week. It's an enormous commitment. But they're for young people who have had such severe personal stress, which has led to suicidal attempts uh, and suicidality. And when you get to listen to the young people and the parents share what they've learned over the programme, it's, it's incredibly humbling. And I did have the honour of a few weeks ago of a listening to a young girl share her story of how that 26 weeks ago she felt the world would be a better place without her and she'd actually had a number of different uh, suicide attempts. Now when she's um, finishing this course, she, she informed the group that her and her dad had just registered her to go to uh, university. So she said, I've gone from having no hope to actually having a future. Um, this is the, what the, the programme has actually helped her with. That programme's been so successful, it's now going to be permanently funded by SA Health. So it's a massive step forward when, in the mental health world, that translation of a new idea to clinical practice normally takes about 16 years. This took three years because we embedded research into the clinical practice. That's a phenomenal success rate, John, and very encouraging because... Everyone knows someone, if you speak to someone who says that they've been anxious or they're having mental health issues, but there's not the conversations around what do you do and people don't know what to say. So it's such important work. Oh, yeah. When you watch the clinicians and then the young people and then the parents and you see this this growth and this development, we feel very, very honoured when we get the opportunity to, to listen to the impact on, on people's lives and also when people share their stories. These stories are powerful because they're very, very personal, but people want to share them because they want others to learn. They want people to grow. A lot of um, members in the lived experience workforce will often talk about if I can get through to one person and make that difference, it was worth it. And, and I often think about that in the work that we do. And when people come up to you after you've done a presentation or you've spoken in an area and they come and feel safe enough to, to start to share some of their own innermost challenges they face or successes um, and they want to share it, it, it's a beautiful thing that you make people feel safe enough to have those conversations. And I know from in, in the work that you guys do looking across all those community centres, these will be conversations that are taking place on a day-to-day basis. And you're right, John, that's where at the coalface that we need to have this change so it really becomes everyday practice that people pick up on the cues and know how to deal with that and people feel safe as you said so john how can the community find out more about your organization and importantly how can they help you yep so um if you want to go onto our website which is breakthroughfoundation.org.au on that website then you can hear more about the work that we've done you can read about the research we've actually funded and the themes and the streams you can also then go into how you can help us and drop down box that talks all about the events that we do it talks about the fundraising opportunities and you know one of the most incredible things that that, that we can actually do when we actually do an act for somebody else that's really incredible because it releases four sets of different chemicals that are around the feel good the 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 anxiety reducing chemical and also that natural high concept um so every charity is going to say to you giving is good and in the mental health world it really is um, if you've got any listeners who love a really good bike ride, uh, on the 22nd of October, we've got the Breakthrough Big Bike Ride. Um, it's taking place at Government House. The, the, the governor is our patron, so she will be starting us off. 
Um, there's two rides you can do. You don't have to be superly fit. Um, I'm doing it, and um, I only jump on my bike every year. We do the bike ride. Um, so I'm doing the 50 kilometers, and if you want to do that, registration is $79 for that. If you want to do the 100 kilometers, that's $99 to register. With that, then you get your uh, event merchandise, first aid, mechanical support, refreshments throughout. But also we have a village back at the government house and you have an opportunity there to, to actually have some food when you've completed. Your family can actually join us. We have a DJ and there's games. So it's more of, a, of an event and activity about bringing people together because all our fundraising events are about that connectivity and connectivity with people. Taking part in that then, you can do some fundraising um, if you're not a big bike rider, the 50K is flat. It takes us out to the beach and get some beautiful fresh air and come back. Uh, the super fit, get the opportunity to have that bit of a challenge going up into the hills and then back down to the beach. So lots of different ways in which you can get behind Breakthrough. Well, John, you're certainly doing amazing work and we're looking forward to you speaking at our Community Centre's SA conference on November 9th to share more information with our community and how we can help people with mental health. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today and really appreciate being so generous and sharing the information. No, no, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to talk about something obviously we feel incredibly passionate about. The podcast is easily accessible on communitycentressa.asn.au and can be downloaded on your favourite podcast platforms. Please share the podcast with your networks and send us your valuable feedback and ideas for interviews to info at communitycentressa.asn.au. Thank you for listening. Community Conversations. For more information, check out communitycentressa.asn.au dot asn dot au